Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Slate Real Estate Advisors and Signature Doors and Windows. Now, on to the show. And the guy said, Dana, do you think preservation is kind of like having a disease? I said, no question about it. Just watch it, do it. And people see it and people feel it. You can't stop. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hi, welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Hey, uh, well, look, you you know who's on the podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited. So who, who, who do we have on today? Dana Crawford. Dana Crawford, yeah. So this is a... This is a big one. Uh, this um, so Dean Nan Elin of uh, CU Denver College of Architecture and Planning. Uh, she's a great uh, supporter of the show and uh, be a future guest at some point. But she uh, connected me with Dana Crawford. Um, I had the honor to just be able to sit with her and hear her story and and hang out and get advice. So yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Dana Crawford, uh, developer of Larimer Square and Union Station and and Flower Mill, and now moving on to places like uh, Trinidad, Colorado, and Idaho Springs. But just she's just a force. Yeah, and it's just it's such a great story and uh, perseverance, uh, and especially when she started developing, had essentially no experience with it, um, but just had a vision and just a tenacity, tenacity with that vision of, of seeing how she could preserve parts of Denver that were being torn down and then just bring li- bring life back to the place. Yeah, the vision she had to have and like the drive to get there. It's uh, I'm really excited to hear the story. Especially like she started when she had four kids under eight that's insane. It's I insane. can't even, yeah. I don't even, I don't get it. And she was just like, I'm going to buy up this block of buildings. Um, yeah. You know, I think we, we had just a good conversation, uh, you know, about her life and tenacity, but but just also about how you deal with the all these everyday, like pushing the boulder up the hill and, you know, they'll, they'll always be there. Um, but having that patience and knowing that, some kind of solution will come up uh, and just getting better and better at juggling these boulders. So <laughs> yeah, it's good. You know, she's, she, she's, she's funny. She's sharp. Uh, she's super interesting. And uh, yeah, I felt honored to be able to talk with her for a little bit. Yeah. Super excited to hear it. Yeah. Enjoy. But hey, today's episode is sponsored by Slate Real Estate Advisors, and we have Slate's co-founder, Jorgen Jensen, here to tell us more about their company. Thanks, Adam. Slate is a residential uh, real estate brokerage uh, created for design-conscious buyers, sellers, and developers. Uh, we do have an office in Lower Highlands. We've been here for six years. We're currently located at the corner of 17th and Central Street. At Slate, our passion has always been to connect people to exceptional living spaces. We are driven by design and the opportunity we have to enhance the quality of our built environment, local communities, and the lives of our clients. And I really love how engaged Slate is with our Colorado design community. 
They, they've published a design directory on their website, highlighting uh, many local architects, good architects, many of whom I've had on this show or who will be on this show. They've launched an art space in their office called Nook, it's Denver's smallest art gallery, as a platform for engaging the local art community and hosting events. And they published the Slate Edition, a digital newsletter, where they highlight some of the people, spaces, and places that they find most inspiring, both locally and globally. Uh, we're, we're glad to have them as a partner here on the show and look forward to uh, more of what they do. Check them out at slatereacom Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. They were involved with the project I'm working on early on. Yeah. And, um, with the Argo? Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw that project. Um, those renderings. I was up at the uh, Mary Jo is doing the ULI. Mary Jane, sorry, Mary Jane is doing the ULI uh, event up there. And then I worked for Open Studio on the the parking structure up there. Uh, yeah. But I don't I don't know if you want to talk about that one or not. But oh yeah, yeah. I do. I think that's one of the you know more. Uh, interesting projects that will have a lot of impact when it gets done yeah yeah i agree i mean i think um and there's now there's another project we're working on in idaho Springs. So. oh really what's that one well it's a Bauhaus school really uh and um so it's owned by the um education department and we want to take it back to um it's kind of leadership role in the community in terms of health and uh, wellness and uh, um, thoughtfulness. And um, it, it was a high school to begin with. And mm. A lot of people are still around that went to that school. Mm. And um, there was a guy that was the principal and he was a very uh, inspiring person. And, uh, and now the little kitty's going to be wanting to have a voice in it. Yeah. <laughs> Correcting you. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice. You know, again, thank you so much for having me to the to your loft here and such a peaceful space and, and, and a warm space. Uh, you know, we were we were talking earlier. It's it's not often out here that I get to meet somebody who grew up so close to where I did, but we grew up. 15 minutes away and uh, yeah. a few years apart, but, yeah. uh, so, um, yeah, growing up in Kansas in Salina, how do you like to, how would you describe yourself in two sentences? Who are you in, uh, or one word? Well, you know, when you're from Kansas, why you're always from Kansas, but, <laughs> um, you, it's pretty easy to fall in love with Colorado. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, Early on, I fell in love with Colorado, and um, 
realize that um, that it just has so much of the story of the West to tell. And um, I wanted us to be able to um, graphically tell that story through saving buildings. Hmm. Hmm. And so how did, how did you get there? I mean, you know, to me, like Salina was the big, the big city around, around McPherson, you know, uh, growing up and there's, there's sort of at least a density of people there. But when you grew up, were you, were you in Salina? Were you kind of out in the country? What was your, what was your life like then? Um, well, we lived in, in the city and, um, I went to the high school and, um, and you know, I, I loved it and I still love Kansas and I still love Solana, although I just can't, I never go because it makes me sad. And it isn't so much that, you know, my parents aren't there. It's just that, um, Kansas is such an atmospheric, I don't know whether you notice this, but when I go there, why the humidity is so mm, different. Mm-hmm. The wind blows. Um, it's like it's like having some sort of a change uh, to your whole being, and there you are, mm-hmm. where you started out. And it, I get very nostalgic. Mm. It it has a lot of extremes, right? It's very yeah. hot, very cold, yeah, very windy, uh, but somehow. I feel like fortified from being there, right? Like growing up in that wind. Yeah. If someone complains about the wind here, it's, well, it's not that, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just always say, because it's been kind of warm here lately, yeah. I, I just say to people, I promised I would never complain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so did you, did I hear you, you're somehow associated with, with Canopolis growing yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. You spent a lot of time there at the reservoir at the lake well my father you know I mean, this, he want funny stories but when i was in graduate <laughs> school why um the guys uh, it was an affiliate of the harvard business school and the guys were you know always interested in girls and so they they would ask me yeah well where'd you prep and i would say well salina high school and smile sweetly and then later on, they'd say, well, well what, what business is your father in? I'd say, well, he's in the boat business. <laughs> well, then they really ran. <laughs> the boat business in Kansas. But yes, we were in the boat business. And uh, I learned a whole lot about boats and, um, and having fun. Yeah. Yeah. We, we spent a lot, of, a lot of summer days there at Canopolis and uh, enjoyed that. But so, so... You go to your prep school at Salina High, and then and then what's next? How do you how do you know what what to do next? Where do you you go to KU? No, I didn't go to KU, and, and although my parents both went to KU, and um, friends of my mother seemed to be quite shocked that she sent me off to a a, a junior college near St. Louis. Hmm a two-year school, and um, it was called Monticello College. We always mispronounced Monticello. <laughs> and um, it was a re- marvelous experience. It was a girls' school close to a potentially great city. 
St. Louis. And um, then after two years there, I went to KU for two hmm. years. And then I always liked them. They say no one would marry me. And so I um, I went to graduate school. Huh. Well, what was the decision process like for each of those schools? I mean, was it your parents kind of directing you towards towards the first one? Yeah. And, and, it, um, and then the idea of coming back to Kansas? It was just assumed that that's, oh, that's really? where it was going to be. Yeah. I'd be a graduate of the University of Kansas. <laughs> and, then, and then what was your degree in? Oh, something really, really important. English lit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And again, that was your choice, or that was uh, something assumed? Well, the, my mother had said that, you know, in that day and age, that I could, I wanted to go to college, but she said, you have to come out and be able to do something. And about the only thing that you could be hired to do as a woman at that time was um, be a secretary or be a teacher. Or, I mean, the, the choices were very. So I went into the School of Education when I went to uh, AU. And um, this sounds like such a self-serving story. <laughs> I, I got called into the dean's office because I just cut classes all the time. Those, <laughs> those education courses were just, I mean, they were just deadly. And so, uh, and I'd gone into one of my teachers and I said, I don't know whether you even noticed or not, but I'm, I'm not coming in very often. <laughs> and I said, you tell us all the answers that are going to be needed on the test. And so I said, I just came in to thank you and say, you know, um, I probably will keep cutting this class. And he says, oh, he said, we don't care. He said, we only really like our graduate courses anyway. Uh, so, huh. but at any rate, so I, I'd had that experience and uh, I went, you, you just won't have any trouble getting me to talk because I just talk. Oh, but um, so you can cut, cut, cut. And uh-huh. um, anyway, um, the, the academic dean called me in and she said, um, and I was nervous. And she said, um, she said, I've been looking at your record, Dana. And she said, if you get out of the school of education and just get into the college, you can make five eight. Like that sounds cool. <laughs> so that's what I did. Didn't tell my mother for a long time, but um, so that's what I did. And um, the, the, you could make what? What was it? Five beta cap. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that's no bad deal. So uh, go around with that certificate. <laughs> and um, so I, I think, you know, it. Uh, it, it Although I'm not an architect, um, it did kind of help me with the thought process. Yeah, right. And then, but then was, was Harvard then your choice? Was that, that probably wasn't part of like the expected plan path or. Uh-huh. I like, you're like rolling your eyes here. But yeah. well, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes, but <laughs> I, um, since I had to go back into the college, I had to take a heavy, heavy course of, of uh, classes in order to, you know, make up for what I missed out on going to the, or cutting those other classes. And um, so I took a course in um, 
if I had a minor, it was sort of sociology and politics and, mm. uh, and cities. I always like cities. And I was taking this reading course from a guy named McCluggage, Mr. McCluggage. And uh, so I, you know, I, I would go and I'd read and read and read and then I'd go on and talk to him. So I'm, I'm waiting for my class uh, or my session with him. And I'm reading the notices on his board. And there's a notice about a um, women's program at Radcliffe and Harvard uh, in business administration and that you, that you could apply. So, and I knew he'd gone hmm. uh, just a year before. And so when I got, I didn't, I said, uh, Mr. McCluggy, do you think that would be a good thing for me to do? He said, Oh, he said, you're just a natural. <laughs> and so um, so I applied and uh, I got in right away. Huh. And uh, but I had to write back and say, well, I'd love to come, but I, you know, my parents can't send me. And uh, so thank you very much. And they wrote back and they said, full tuition scholarship. Ah, wow. So um, I wrote back. Thanks. I'll be there. <laughs> see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. So, so that's what I did, and that was a that was the really big turning point because um, I worked this this class. There were eighty women in this class, and half of them had been um, out of school for a, 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 you know, and had been working in various jobs and. Um, Half of us were just straight out of the rocks. And um, so, and the way that school was set up was we had the same professors and the same cases from the business school across the river. But we couldn't go because the boys had such bad language. That was the <laughs> and, um And of course, we were in minute classes out where we were across the river. But at any rate, um, so. Uh, I, uh, I, I had a working session in the spring at the Museum of Science in uh, Boston. And the Museum of Science was just brand new, hmm. right on the Charles River, just didn't have any money. Uh, and I was in the public relations department. Hmm. And everything I'd ever been doing in my life said, you're ready. Yeah. And so I went into PR. Huh. Just directed directed you in, yeah. Funneled all the all the stars aligned uh, for yeah. the yeah. for for a little bit at least until you mm-hmm. later found your real calling. But what so what was that like um, coming into Cambridge and Boston and um, had you been to spent a lot of time in larger cities before or? Oh, I've been in Kansas City. I've been in St. Louis. I've been in Chicago. But um, and then by the time I went to um, Boston and Cambridge, I'd been in New York. But um, I really liked that Boston, and I really liked Cambridge, and I really liked New England, and um, so I thought. You know, when I get out of school, I'll come back here. And um, 
I was going to live with Anne Hetherington, my good friend, but she got married that summer. Mm. And so I was dating somebody from uh, Denver. So I came out here. And that was that. Was that. <laughs> yeah. that happens to a lot of us. That, that's yeah. what happened to me as well. Yeah. Uh, Did you go back back to New England too? Yeah, so I uh, I went to grad school at Yale, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then moved to Mexico City for a little bit, and then moved here where my wife's family is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I also felt New England felt really good to me as well. You know, just it's cooler, the the beach is there, and just the food, the seafood, food, the pizza, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so so Denver, I mean, so you, growing up, you were saying, you know, you had an affinity for Colorado, um, but then moving here felt pretty good or you were, were thinking you'd go back to New England at some point? Um, no, I mean, it, it, it just the minute I got here, um, I got rid of the boyfriend and uh, <laughs> um, I, I just started working for a really good PR firm mm. and uh, learning a lot about the city and uh, and wondering why in the world they had just torn down the uh, uh, Denver Club building. Mm. Fabulous. Um, and, I mean, you know, I, I, I knew the difference between uh, a really, really good building and kind of I knew through just exposure the, the vintage of these buildings and the history and I hadn't been particularly fond of history as a course um, because you know it can get pretty boring <laughs> and um, so um, I just I just you know and everybody seemed to ski and so I thought I better learn to ski and that was Basically a pretty big disaster, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, but it was fun. Everything was fun. Mm. Oh, fresh, fresh, fresh air. And, um, a lot of smart people from a lot of smart places. And no, I, you know, I, if I got a chance to go to Boston, I went in a hurry. Yeah. Just for a visit. Right. So what, what year did you come here then? When was that around? 54. 54. So, they weren't tearing as much things down yet, right? That kind of came more in the '60s a little bit, but there was so the down, downtown was was mostly like Larimer Square still, um, two three story brick. No, no, it um, it was in kind of a little bit of a boom. A lot oh, of really? Texas people here were building pretty horrible buildings. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I am uh, sort of like a first of like the oil kind of boom. Of, oh, yeah. listen, we had um, <laughs> there were so many boys running around this town in the oil business and in the mining business, and you know you could just go out every night if you wanted to. Uh, I didn't want to, but. Uh, at any rate, um, it was just a lively place. Yeah. 
And um, uh, I was very active at the art museum and uh, very active. And, uh, um, and I had this bug in my mind about um, doing something that would make Denver a little bit more like us mm. and would make it pay attention to its roots. It just wasn't paying attention. And uh, and it really had, you know, juicy, juicy roots. So that was kind of the beginning of looking for the place to do that. Yeah. Well, what do you think it is about Denver that it wasn't, it didn't appreciate the history as much? Is it sort of they were cycling through kind of buildings so quickly? Of- well, you know, I mean, Denver didn't get started until 58. And so there were still a lot of people around who were here when it got started. Mm. So they, they didn't like to think of themselves as historic, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Um, and so, uh, and it, pres- preservation just wasn't something that was, well, it, on, a, on a national basis, it wasn't going on in a huge way. But um, certainly here, it just was not going on. And uh, so after we started Larimer Square, well, then, of course, I got more and more involved with the whole movement and went on the uh, board of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Uh, and um, I, I, I was back and forth to the East Coast a lot. Well, before we get there, yeah, so you, you, you chased a boy here dumped him but then married another guy mm-hmm. and started a family mm-hmm. i like in uh as watching the the pbs documentary you know and they say oh she moved here and then she had four boys and yeah. then she did larimer square and i've got i've got two kids right now a three two and a half year old and a five and a half year old and i'm like you don't just say had four boys and then did something else like that's a that's a lot in itself yeah. right yeah. and um so so you had, you had kids. Um, were you, were you still then doing PR work and uh, and work with the the museum and everything? And yeah, well, you know, I don't know whether it's the water from Kansas or what, but I have high energy, mm. and uh, my husband and I wanted to have our family in a really pretty big hurry because. Um, at that time, I this is so funny now, but I so firmly believed that if you know if I had kids after the time that I was uh, thirty, they'd be idiots. <laughs> I really, really? believe that, huh. and so uh, so I, I and when it you know when people always usually in interviews they always say, well, what is your favorite favorite project? Well, I invariably say my family. Uh-huh. My poor son. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. So, um, but um, it's, a, you know, it's fun to talk about your life when it's been so wonderful. And I've had such a wonderful life. All you have to do is just look at this loft and realize <laughs> how wonderful it is. Yeah, that's true. So, so then what was it? I mean, what I'm, I'm so interested in that, in that spark with, with Larimer Square and and you have this background in English and, and PR and 
these different urban experiences and you have all this energy and what is that turning point or what is that spark when you say, okay, yeah, let's, let's start building, start buying buildings. Well, I, um, I wonder what, which came first. I was looking for this place. I knew I'd I'd find this place that would tell me. Mm. And um, so I found um, the 1400 block on Larimer and I looked that up and it was slated to be torn down. Mm. And so I went, I thought, well, I've been talking a lot about to my friends and, you know, to a lot, a lot of people about with this idea that I had that was kind of driving me about doing this place that would um, would recognize and uh, um, make the fact that Denver was here and that it was uh, on its way to be a great city and that it could be one of the big voices in under making people understand about the West and how how the West had evolved and how the architecture told the story. So, and, you know, the, most people just say, oh, I can paint a top. And um, so I went to the library, and after I found the 1400 block of Larimer, and um, it was just kind of a broken down old block, and uh, 1400 block of Larimer. So I went in and I said to the librarian, do you have any pictures or stories or can you give me the background of, um, of that block on Larimer Street? And she said, oh, we have quite a bit. Huh. And so I sat down and she just kept bringing me stuff and bringing me stuff and bringing me stuff. And pretty soon I was just so kind of and I thought, oh, oh, I think I feel the hand of fate. <laughs> I have to stop talking about it and I have to do it. That's, a, you know, that's really about how huh. it worked out. And then, um, so, so I got some really fabulous photographs taken of the block. And then from the photographs, I made a model. Hmm. And I had the model... And then I went to the hobby store and I got little gas lights and little cars and little things, you know, that made it look, and the architecture was there and on both sides of the street. And it was a pretty terrible one. Yeah. Um, but it was sitting um, in my dining room one day and um, a very, very close friend of ours walked in and he said, yes, the fatal question. What's this? And so I told him about the dream. And um, he said, Well, I like it. I'll invest. Mm. Mm. So, and then I'd found some other guy that owned um, four buildings there in the block already. And they both had gone black. Mm. So, you know. Um, we put it together as a business, a real estate endeavor, and um, um, 
Oh, really? How, how old were your kids at this point? Um, they were, uh, let's see, everybody was in school. Um, so Duke was probably, um, Duke's the youngest one, probably six, huh. and then eight. Eight and a half, nine and a half. Wow. Um, so, um, and we lived on Capitol Hill and uh, in a really neat house in a really neat neighborhood. And uh, so. They were just old enough that they didn't mess up that model and uh, play with it too much. And <laughs> yeah, that's an, no one else has asked that question ever. Um, I think, I think I let them play with it. Yeah. And, um, I have, I have a philosophy about bringing up kids that's a little different from other people. And, um, so, um, they were always kind of involved, uh, with, uh, and God only knows, I mean, John Crocker and I would, John Crocker was in the oil business, but. He very swiftly saw his wife drowning on Larimer Street, which was Skid Row, and uh, and so he he came and helped me, and uh, and then we'd come home and we'd talk about work at home in front of the kids, bad deal, because oh it was so hard, oh it was so hard, so, uh, just 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 the stresses of putting that deal together and, and figuring out what it is. And oh, yeah. That's, that's what I want to hear about. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, somebody said being a developer is sort of like being a juggler. You know, you're juggling all these different things, all these 18 different buildings, all these different tenants, office tenants and retail tenants, and you want this to be so cool that everybody comes to Larimer mm-hmm. Street because everybody, of course, said no one. Street, but we opened um, at the end of the year in '65. We had announced in '65 with um, a place um, near every single one of these things. It's just a great big story. But your father's mustache, but your father's mustache was a banjo bubble, huh. and it was um, it was developed and owned by a fellow named Joel Schiavone from New Haven. Really? And um, Joel's father was, and probably isn't still, um, but the biggest scrap iron dealer in the United States. Really? So you probably went by that place in New Haven. But And so Joel grew up in New Haven, and everybody says he had a stammer. He had a terrible stammer. And everybody said, you're never going to go to Yale. So he did. (laughs) And um, then he wanted to go to Harvard Business School. So, um, and he went up to Cambridge to be interviewed. And they said, you know, there's just no point in your trying to do this because you've got this terrible stammer. 
Wow. Now, if you can figure out how to get into business and get rid of the stammer, you can come to the show. <laughs> and so Joel says, okay, I'll be back. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and he played the banjo. So um, he found out he could play the banjo and sang him on stuff. So then he started opening your father's mustaches around the country and making quite a bit of money. And um, and so he's running the business. He doesn't stammer anymore. And he still wants to go to business. So he goes to business school. Um, and um, so he opens a place in St. Louis. And uh, some woman and her husband, John and me, but anyway, we um, show up at your father's mustache, and they want uh, they want me to open one in Denver. And uh, so, um, I, I I've been told that he um, he wore his sweaters wrong side out and back. <laughs> and I had been told that he stammered. And so I called him on the telephone, and I didn't understand him really? so badly. And um, but I said, I think you better come out here and look at this place. It's perfect for your father's mustache. So he jumped on the airplane and came out. And we became dear friends, and um, he, he was friends with all my kids, and and I mean they had them. Your father's mustache was just so much fun. And the night we opened uh, was almost the end of the year. We'd had a terrible time getting liquor licenses. uh, That was just a gagging story in itself. But um, the people are lined up around the block, lined up to get into your father's mustache. so, and somebody who'd been doing a feasibility study for me said, well, it's just like I told you, Dana, nobody will come to that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, I mean, you know, I worked on it for 22 years and every day was either a triumph or a disaster. But um, at that time, you know, people were calling me up and saying, well, Come to Nashville. Tell us what to do. Um, you know, so then I started having consulting business. And um, and then I became active with the National Trust. And a fellow from Savannah, Georgia, and I became sort of the Pied Pipers of the preservation movement in America. And uh, went around and gave speeches. And, um, and everybody thinks, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I walked through Lemon Square and, and heard people say, now, Mr. and Mrs. Crawford got this started. They came here from the East, and he's a, he's a doctor, and she's an architect. <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, nobody tells the truth. Yeah. Yeah. But way back then, even. So, you, can yeah. make up, yeah. you can make up a good story. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's... That's quite the jump, right, of, uh, A, just getting all those buildings, right, protecting it from being destroyed, getting... We didn't get all the buildings. We got 
we, we had to announce because one guy, there was one restaurant called Lafitte's on the block. And the guy who had that restaurant, we thought we better go. His name was Joe Sperdy. We thought we better go tell Joe. And, you know, we swore him in secrecy. And so for two days later, I got a call from the Rocky Mountain News. It spilled the beans. We, we didn't want a lot of people to know because they didn't have to Yeah. And um, so, um, so we had to kind of go ahead and announce, even though there were three buildings, we hadn't been able to get. Um, that was okay because they came in later. Uh, and then, you know, once we started doing that, I, Urban Renewal finally just turned around. They wanted to do it too, and everybody wanted to be next to Lander Square. And um, but we still didn't have any money. Um, that was kind of a problem. Um, so that's been the biggest problem. <laughs> not having the money to do the stuff that could have been done. And um, now I'm working in a little town in the southeast Colorado. And it's such a really fabulous little place. And you know what the problem is? The money. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like it, you let it let it stop you that much. But uh, so so then after, what, what was next? So you, you were having success in Lambert Square. Then you you have all this energy still. And you're like, this isn't enough. Let's, what's next? Well, now, this energy thing, um, uh, I was working up in Georgetown with a group of people up there that were trying to do something preservation-wise. And the guy said, Dana, do you think preservation is kind of like having a disease? I said, no question about it. What you doing? And I mean, you see it, and people see it, and people feel it. You can't stop. Yeah. You can't stop. Or I couldn't stop. So, you know, um, we always say um, we're from a family of people that are um, addicted to things. I'm addicted to working in old buildings. John Crawford was addicted to um, rock whiskey. Uh, I had the better deal. Yeah. Uh, but um, so, um, what are you working on? I I am working on. I just started a bit my own company a year ago, and um, with a partner in Connecticut. And we have a third partner who is a developer in New York. And so our goal is to design and develop our own projects. Um, and so right now, me and the other architect are getting the architecture business off the ground and, and trying to sort of raise funds towards development and mm-hmm. work on that. But uh, that, that idea of energy, is that's the thing that's in lack of supply, I find, just there's always so many things to do and trying to push forward and 
a lot of ideas, but not always time. Yeah, well, uh, I've got one son that's, uh, you know, kind of he thinks digitally and um, he's got really great ideas, but he has a hard time getting from idea to reality. Hmm. But you didn't. You didn't have that issue. Um, as much. I, I, I had good luck, and I would think and think and think and think, and uh, and sometimes something would happen, like um, Idaho Springs, something. Something terrible has happened, and the person I'm working with up there, Mary Jane Lovely, is just determined that it's going to get straightened out. And I believe so, and all of our investors believe so. And um, yesterday, several things happened all in one day that looks like um, we're going to be able to do it, and not only be able to do that, but um, to, but to do this Bauhaus school. That'll change that now. Right. Yeah. 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 I was. I was. We were talking earlier. Where I was. I was working on the designs for that. The upper uh, part of the mm-hmm. of the Argo and uh, and that whole environment up there. And then once the the mill itself gets renovated and mm-hmm. yeah, the area around it, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, now we have a mayor up there. That's this little short guy. Real curly hair on here. Looks kind of like an angel. And, and he really looks like an angel. And uh, so and it, it's a lot easier. He's a lot easier to deal with than the last mayor. So this is, you know, it's a town of 1,600 people. We must be doing the right thing. Yeah. What is that? I like, I like how you said uh, developers like a juggler, right? And, yeah. And and every day, there's those successes and failures, right? And I feel like it's intensified maybe with with developers and development and architecture, where yeah, you have you're flying high, and then and something with the money happens, and you drop down. And were were you? A, is it definitely a learned skill, or has it come a long way of of being able to deal with that, the ups and downs, and say? you know what, tomorrow something else is going to happen that's good or it's bad, or does it still feel like the, the sky is falling? Well, another really good question. Uh, but um, the juggling thing, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting at your desk and you're, you realize that you're, you're juggling, you're juggling and you're juggling. And if you drop one ball and it's rolling down the you know path, and then crash, you drop, drop you drop the second one, and and then you start spraying. and um, not very late but like that. Um, you know, you get them all together again up on your desk, and five or six days later. Something happens. Oh, 
Yeah. Um, it, I mean, something happens. Yeah. And I, I worked with a, I don't, I don't know. Have you ever met Bill Park Hill? No. Um, Park, Bill Park Hill's a good architect. He, he did the building across the street from the Oxford Hotel. Mm. And uh, my partner and I worked on it with him. And uh, we'd ask for outrageous things and he'd get them done. But he says that um, it doesn't really matter what's going on. You have to apply the 24-hour rule. Mm. And everything, if you just calm down, if it's really good or it's really awful, you just calm down and 24 hours later, something will happen. And you, it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Does, um, that, does that mean you, you stop answering all those phones that keep ringing when everybody's freaking out in that, those 24 hours and you know, mm-hmm. you just, you just um, well, sometimes, you know, you're answering the phone and you think, is this Paul? I mean, you're, mm. you're in the moment. Um, but, um, so obviously, you know, we, we, you have so many projects we could talk about. So, you know, the, the flour mill here, the Oxford Union Station, just, just a few. But what do you have a, do you remember a specific moment of that, of that being true the most of that? The sky is really falling, and then within 24 hours, it totally flips around. What's what's one that sticks out in your mind? Well, uh, the um, the Union Station was pretty easy to be in love with, mm. and um, I had a lot of Type A partners, and. I had to figure out how I was going to get it the way I wanted it. And uh, so, and it really required a lot of money. So, but I had a, um, some people that lived in this building on the top floor who are um, part of the Walmart. And so I kept having them give me financial statements that I never looked at so that I could give it to the uh, um, Urban Renewal Authority and to uh, the people, that that building is owned by Regional Transportation. Oh, right. So, so when we're getting about finished and um, we had to be getting on to opening, we needed, um, from this group, we needed a large amount of money. And they they brought in a um, bunch of lawyers and uh, a bunch of people from um, Fort Worth. And they those people wanted us, all of us who had worked so hard on this and who were professional developers and uh, uh, hotel operators and uh, designers and um, architects, 
of many years. And uh, these people came in and they wanted to take over. And we didn't want them to take over. It wasn't fair. Yeah, in the last minute. Yeah. At the last minute. So we said, golf, no thanks. <laughs> golf, golf, no thanks. And um, a couple of my partners went out and um, they got some developers that had been originally from California um, who had um, come to um, Northern Colorado and uh, opened uh, quite a few things and um, brothers, McQuinney brothers. And so they called up um, one of the McQuinney brothers and they said, we got to have breakfast. Mm. He said, well, when would we do that? And they said, well, tomorrow. <laughs> and they said, um, um, how about um, 7.30? He says, I already have a 7.30. So they say, how about 6.30? <laughs> well, I can do that. So then they went and they explained the whole thing to him. And um, and then, then that, you know, how much money do you need? We need $8 million. And when do you need to know? Well, we need to know late this afternoon. <laughs> Our 24 hours is almost up. Yeah. <laughs> so that, they, these people are on, are, are on the 24-hour thing. <laughs> Anyway, um, so he said, well, I'll get hold of my brother and we'll talk about it. I think we might be interested. So about early afternoon, the phone rang. My partner's Walter Eisenberg. I'm trying to get him to run for mayor. And, um, and uh, the voice on the other end says, we're in. <laughs> Easy, yeah. So, and they've gone on to really be involved with a lot of really, really good people. Elon Musk. And, um, so, you know, it was that I think answers that question that things can come around in a really big hurry. Yeah, one six thirty breakfast yeah. And, uh, yeah. to lunch. He was, yeah. 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 So, um, but, um, I mean, that story's kind of funny. Um, and um, so it, it's, you know, it's just um, magic. <laughs> um, yes, now I'm, I'm speaking of magic, uh, interested to hear more about Trinidad. So what, what drew you, what drew you there? And what are you excited about? Well, here you can. I thought you might ask. Yeah, I I saw you itching itching to talk about it. So yeah, we're looking at um, some some renderings here and description of of the the Fox Fox West Theater. Yeah, built nineteen oh eight. Nineteen oh eight. Isn't it? Isn't Encelina the main theater is called the 
Fox Theater Center? There's a big chain. Big chain. Oh, okay. Yeah, big chain. The man who built it in um, Trinidad was named Mr. West. Ah. And so it didn't have anything to do with direction. But, um, and they already had an opera house and it had closed. And so everybody wanted them to get another opera house. So they um, had a pair of fabulous architects, the Rapp brothers. Have you heard of the Rapp brothers? No, I haven't. Well, their books have been written about them. They're four brothers, all architects. Wow. Two went to the East Coast and designed the fancy um, movie theaters. Fancy what? Movie theaters. Oh, okay. And two had been in um, Trinidad, and they designed the Fox West, which has many, many features in it that have been used all over the world. They were very original people. Huh. So I didn't know all that when I walked into that theater, but I knew that enough to know that they didn't have any business tearing it down because it was a jam and that that it would draw people to their town. Yeah. I mean, and you you have to, there are so many of these interesting small Colorado cities around. Uh, what, what, what did this building in particular draw you to Trinidad or had you been interested in that before or? What, what about Trinidad? Trinidad is um, in a part of the world that is um, it's, huh. it's got a lot of um, green shrubs. It's got a lot of um, dramatic architecture. Hmm. Stone buildings and brick buildings. Uh, it's got a main street that is um, paved with bricks that are embossed with Trinidad. Really? Um, it has a history, uh, just an unbelievable history. Um, it, uh, it's been through big times and bad times. And uh, it used to be that when I was really having a hard time with the Denver Urban Renewal Authority. I would say, if I can't get this done, I'm just going to go <laughs> to Trinidad and get a sex change because they were doing. Still, if, if right, you say yeah. if you say I'm working in Trinidad, all right, they say, oh, that's the sex change, you know, headquarters of the world. Well, now they do it every place, so I mean, it's not. That, that isn't the boom part, but that's one of the boom parts. And they had a big mining boom part where they would, it was, the thing about the town is that it's, uh, it had an urban life at one time when it would have a lot of population. And so it now feels it, it like a little city. Hmm. And it's a population of 10,000 instead of 30,000. So, uh, and now, of course, um, people are beginning to discover it and um, want to um, be doing um, the digital world there. And then they're wanting to do 
the artistic world, and then they're wanting to do musical stuff, and uh, and then they want to uh, save it and be a community, hmm. but they don't they don't quite know how. Yeah, and uh, that's where I come in. Yeah. So what are you doing? So you're doing renovating the theater, and then you have other projects going on. Yeah. We have a, all by the same architects. Um, we have a beautiful building that's kind of out from downtown. Beautiful brick building that it was a school. And we're turning it into an artist uh, living, working um, place to share. And um, it's going to be sensational. Yeah. It sits up high, looks out over the town, looks at, um, we have we have kind of one mountain that's being turned into a uh, um, state park now, uh, Fisher's, Fisher's Peak. And then there's another place that you see that has a huge sign on it that says um, Trinidad, and then cleverly Trinidad. And... Uh, and then you look off in this direction and um, you see um, a, a mountain range, beautiful mountain range and uh, snow peak mountains. Mm. And, um, and you think, uh, gosh, I've met a lot of really interesting people lately here. Um, I wonder what's going to happen. And then you go to city hall and you go to city council meeting and you think, I can't stand this. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then the city manager that's been there just a few years and is the third or fourth city manager in just a few years quits. And uh, the ball starts rolling down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with all that topography, it goes really fast, the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what we did, I've, I've, you couldn't believe how inexpensive it was. Everything's so expensive in Denver. So that was one of the reasons I went down there. Good architecture. And um, you should see the First National Bank. Oh, this is terrific. And uh, it's an historic district. I bought a building that had been a department store. Really, that ugly building, and um, has six thousand square feet on the main floor, and six thousand square feet on the lower level. So, I rented the lower level to the city uh, <coughs> to put put all the stuff that had been in the theater that was collectible, and so. And they pay $600 a month. And then on the main level, we did a um, marketplace. Mm. And we have 24 tenants. And, and, and they kind of stagger up. And when you go down, why, I'm very proud of that place because it's, it's just loaded with good people and they're. They're nice merchandise for sale, and um, 
um, and it's profitable. So, yeah. so um, and and then there's a beautiful shop down there that of uh, American Indian wear that is uh, owned and operated by uh, a great woman uh, who is um, from Denmark. Hmm. And um, so after being in that part of the world, but you know that Yeah. And um, so um, then I bought a house down there. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fantastic house, mid-century modern house. Um, and um, you'll have to get your wife and come down. Yeah, we will. We, we definitely need to get down there. Yeah, uh, it's halfway to uh, uh, Santa. Yeah, well, it's a good place to have fun. So um, um, it sounds like you've got a big project and covering a lot of territory. Yeah, this of this firm. Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah, just this idea of always having a lot of balls in the air, you know, and, uh, you know, growing up in Kansas, I think, um, we, we, my parents had 15 acres out in the country. We grew up out in the country and, and I would always just go out and look, you know, just the, you really feel the dome right of the horizon. Yeah. It's just flat everywhere. And it was a beautiful childhood, but I would just stand there and be like, I, I need to get out. I need to be around people. I need to see things. And, my, my mom grew up in, in Washington, D.C., and we'd always go back there, and so I'd get that sort yeah. of culture and that urbanity. Um, but then, you know, architecture just really released that in me, and, and, then, um, and then I've just kind of exploded around the world and lived in the Netherlands for years and Italy and Mexico and New England and, and here. And, oh, and yeah, we're not very bad. Yeah, that, and, and yeah, again, you know, just opening up, opening up doors and having a, a, a Kansas guy there and meeting different people. And, um, but, but yeah, you know, and then working at different firms and different levels of firms, but never very long, you know, I'd always quit and go somewhere else. Um, but just that idea that, okay, you can have architecture, but the architecture most of the time is only as good as your client and yeah. is willing to do. And, and this idea of, okay, let's get, grab this, agency and have this vision of a place and then figure out and make it happen somehow. Right. Yeah. It really excites me, but what's, what's your advice for uh, young developers or younger people who want to make a change? Well, Chris, maybe could tell you better than I could, but I, I was very involved in his career. Hmm. Um, and, um, he had somebody they was working with that I felt that's going to hold him back. Hmm. So I, um, I said, you have to make a change. Huh. And it was really hard for him to do. But uh, I'm sure he would tell you that it was really, really good for him to do. Uh, so you have to be sure about the people you work with. Interesting. And I always say um, you have to... Um, I've just been through it this week because 
Iran, and I have to say Willamette Square all over again. <laughs> so these people have come in from California and uh, uh, and uh, North Carolina and uh, other places, and they are now they're they're combined in a group called Asana, and Asana is wanting to do some wonderful things in Lamar Square that really need to be done. But they also want to change Lamar Square. And it would be bad. That means it, it, it eradicates Lamar Square. Really? And um, so I have to, that it went to the commission this week, the city commission, and um, the rules are, are just all about the body of each building. But one of the one of the architects said, um, "You know, there has to be something about the soul." Hmm. So I'm getting to the point that you you have to really count on your feelings. Hmm. How you feel about something. And, you know, I think that maybe the Kansas thing be interesting to pursue this over a glass of uh, vodka, but um, um, somehow or another you have to be in touch with your um, your feelings. Yeah, because you, you have to to believe in it so, so much, right, to be able to fight as much but as you do. Also, you have to be able to say, this is it. Uh. This is it. Even if you're not sure. Yeah, yeah. This is it. I think this is it. Yeah, this is yeah, it. Yeah, but, but I mean, what, that's so fun about having a partner you work with because, um, and um, and then maybe you have some other partners that come into the deal and kind of screw it up. Mm. And you have to, oh, give it up. Oh, can't give it up. And then those aren't very good feelings. Um, but, um, Chris and I worked on, he didn't work on this building so much, but we built a new building, um, that had to kind of go along with this building. And, um, we had to get the approval of the, um, uh, you know, in, in preservation, you're all involved with it. And so we had to get the approval of, of the Department of the Interior about the new building. Well, he designed, um, I don't know, four or five buildings. You know, the, the models and and, the, and so we got a photograph of about six buildings. And um, they'd all been turned down by the Department of the Interior. And um, finally, he built one, and so we both said, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah." So, and um, it, I get this what I was talking about. Mm. But, um, um, so, um, what kind of floor are you going to put in? Well, I am. Uh, you know, 
I think it should be a brick floor. No, I think there should be a lot of wood in this building. Um, well, how are we going to decide? How did you decide? My way. Your way, yeah. But um, actually, this floor is from a gymnasium floor in Golden. Ah. A basketball court. Nice. Uh, um, so, um, you know, a lot of light in here. And, yeah. Um, so, um, mid-century modern, I've been kind of spending a lot of time with uh, uh, Charles and Reims. Yeah. We we have we have two two of the lounge chairs uh, around us here. We have we have a. Uh, we inherited a uh, a Peedcraft uh, version of the chair, but from 1955, that from my wife's uh, grandparents, we had it restored and have it in our mm-hmm. living room. And yeah, they're the most comfortable chairs, even as the knockoff, you know, of mm-hmm. the Eames. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't have a problem with knockoffs. <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I just thank you so much for taking this time with me and uh, just thank you for everything you've done for our city and our state and um, inspiring example. So thank you. Well, um, you know, I like us Kansans. (laughs) Yeah. um, Don't hesitate to call. Great. Thank you so much. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Hi, I'm Eli. This show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza. Aaron Best. Kyle Brunner. Emily Child. Trevor Notzko. Zach Huff. Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.